0: Good morning, church. Uh, Our preaching series this year, I think, went very well. Uh, In fact, the last five Sundays, we've had the highest average attendance we've ever had as a church. So I hope now that I'm preaching again uh, the attendance won't go down or uh, I'll be uh, getting a different job assignment. (laughs) Uh, Do you have a category in your life for the inexplicable? Or if something seems inexplicable, do you write it off as uh, unrealistic? Do Do you have a category in your life for something that is so radically amazing that science can't measure it? That science can't define it? Or do you only have categories in your life that can be reducible to an easy description and scientific measurement. If you don't have a category in your life for what is truly and radically amazing, parts of the Bible are going to seem unacceptable. Unacceptable. I'm going to speak to you today from uh, the book of Ezekiel. Uh, When uh, John Calvin uh, died, he was preaching through the book of Ezekiel. And the prayer that he said for the sermon on Ezekiel chapter 1 is uh, recorded in his commentaries, and I'm going to pray his prayer for us today. Would that be all right with you if I... uh, I pray Calvin's prayer. Almighty God, since by our dullness we are so fixed down to the earth that when you stretch out your hand to us, we cannot reach forth to you. So grant that being roused by your spirit, We may learn to raise our affections to you and to strive against our sluggishness until by a nearer approach uh, we may become so familiarly known to uh, you that at length we may arrive at the fruition of the full and perfect glory laid up for us in heaven Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. I'm guessing most of us don't know a lot about Ezekiel. Uh, Let me show you a couple pictures of Ezekiel. Uh, The first one was painted by a Michelangelo, and it's in the Sistine Chapel. And it it shows him in uh, a... a distracted form. If you look at this painting, he's not looking at us. He is distracted and turning away and looking at something else. That was Michelangelo's way of saying uh, something happened in uh, Ezekiel's life that turned his attention away from all the normal stuff and made him look fully at this thing. At the same time Michelangelo was painting in the Vatican, Raphael was painting in the Vatican, and he painted uh, his uh, uh, idea of Ezekiel. And in fact, this is his interpretation of the passage I'm going to read today. Uh, If you look at the bottom, you see these uh, flying animals. If you look around him, you see three little angel babies. Uh, Those are the the cherubims. And uh, uh, in this picture, uh, you see uh, Ezekiel uh, a bit overwhelmed. Uh, It was both artists struggling with this unique event that happened in Ezekiel's life. When Ezekiel was 17 years old, the Babylonian army came to Jerusalem. And they surrounded the city, and the king surrendered the city to the Babylonian army. The king just said, we don't have a chance. And so the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar, he sent his guys into the city, and they took whatever they wanted. Can you imagine somebody showing up at your house You have to let them in the front door, and they go through your house, and they take whatever they want. Hey, Mom, that includes your kids. In 605, when the Babylonians took uh, Jerusalem, Daniel was a teenage boy, and they thought he had potential, so they took him. And then the Israelites made a treaty with King Nebuchadnezzar. But they didn't keep their treaty. And in 597, when Ezekiel was 25 years old, the Babylonian army came back again. And they surrounded the city again. And the king knew again that they didn't have a chance fighting them, so they let him into the city again, and they did the very same thing. They went through house to house and took whatever they wanted. And this time, Ezekiel was taken. He was one of 8,000 people who were taken to live and serve in the Babylonian Empire. He was a young man who was almost ready to begin his service in the priesthood. He was from a priestly family. He was 25, and you started doing your priestly duty at 30. Captivity in Babylon was not like captivity in Egypt. In Egypt, they were slaves. In Babylon, they just wanted a thriving economy, and to have a thriving economy, they had to have a lot of workers. And people, these Jewish people, they started their own businesses, they lived in their own homes, they were just part of a thriving community, a a business community. In fact, life in Babylon was so good that in 538, when Cyrus said to the Jews, you can go home, most of them didn't. Only a small fraction of them went home and the rest of them stayed in Babylon. Babylon. Uh, The Babylonian Talmud is uh, written from Babylon, not Jerusalem. And so uh, Ezekiel lived in this Jewish community by the uh, uh, Chabar Canal for about five years. And after he had lived there about five years, he had an incredible experience. It was so incredible that normal ways of talking about it don't work, and he had to use what is called apocalyptic literature. Apocalyptic literature is using incredible images to compare what you can't describe, uh, uh, so you have to compare it to something. Ah. Uh, Jeremiah was preaching in Jerusalem, Daniel was working in King Nebuchadnezzar's court, and Ezekiel was the prophet to the people in exile. In the book of Ezekiel, he is called the Son of Man 93 times. This is also interesting. The phrase that you may know that I am the Lord is repeated 54 times in the book. Ezekiel's message is apocalyptic but it has a single purpose so that people can know the glory of God now this is so unusual I'm going to read longer passages to you today I'm reading out of uh, Eugene Peterson's uh, translation because uh, it's the easiest passage Ah. Uh, I think you're going to find this absolutely fascinating. If you aren't, you can doze off. (laughs) So Ezekiel starts, When I was 30 years of age, I was living with the exiles on the Chabar River. On the fifth day of the fourth month, the sky opened up, And I saw visions of God. It was the fifth day of the month, in the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiachin, that God's word came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, on the banks of the Chabar Canal, in the country of Babylon. God's hand was upon him that day. This very first paragraph, Ezekiel, given a historical context, and the historical context dates to about uh, 593. In, in the year 593 B.C., Ezekiel was living in a, 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 a suburb of Babylon. His life was going on normal like everybody else. And then on this special day, the hand of the Lord was upon Ezekiel. And now here's where it gets odd. Ezekiel said, I looked, I saw an immense dust storm coming from the north, an immense cloud with lightning flashing from it a huge ball of fire glowing like bronze. Within the fire were what looked like four living creatures, vibrant with life. Each had the form of human beings, but each also had four faces and four wings. Their legs were as sturdy and straight as columns, but their feet were like uh, uh, hoofed uh, 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 the hoofs on a calf, and they sparkled from the fire like burnished bronze. With all four sides under their wings, uh, they had human hands. With all four, uh, all four had uh, faces and wings and the wings touched one another, and they turned neither one way nor the other. They went straight forward. Their faces look like this. Ezekiel uses the word like a lot because he can't describe it, so he's doing the best he can to compare it to something. Their faces look like this. In front, a human face. On the right, the face of a a lion. On the left, the face of a lamb. And on the back, the face of an eagle. So much for the faces. The wings were spread out with the tips of one pair touching the creature on either side, and the other pair of wings uh, covered their body. Each creature went straight ahead. Wherever the spirit went, they went. They didn't turn as they went. The four creatures looked like blazing fire or like fiery torches. Tongues of fire shot back and forth between the creatures and out of the fire, bolts of lightning and the creatures flashed back and forth like lightning strikes. Now that's unusual. Right. If I came here today and told you I was walking on the church trail and uh, you would uh, you'd ask the elders to check into what kind of chemicals I have been using. <laughs> All right, the very first thing I want to say about this is Ezekiel is not describing what he actually saw He's doing the best to compare what he actually saw with something we can understand. Okay, do you got that? That's where we start. I don't read this as this is literally what he saw. I read this as what he saw was so amazing that he didn't have the vocabulary to describe it, and so he used the best vocabulary that he could find to compare it to. Uh, This month's uh, uh, Discovery Magazine has an extended article on it about uh, parallel universes. There are some physicists who believe there are parallel universes. And uh, uh, by the way, movies love this, where you live in another universe and you get transported into this universe and, and... all right. The very first thing I understand is uh, there is a spiritual universe, church. This physical world we live in, it's not the only thing. There is a spiritual universe. The, the Bible likes to use the word heaven. Uh, there is a dimension that is greater, richer, more beautiful than this temporary world that we live in, church. I've had dear friends who sat in this room Sunday after Sunday who live in that spiritual universe now. They live in the eternal presence of an awesome God. And what Ezekiel saw was somehow or another A glimpse of this spiritual uh, universe I've told you before these these creatures show up in the book of Revelation also they're representative of creation the face of a man represents humanity the face of an ox represents herd animals the face of a lion carnivores the face of an eagle birds they represent God's presence in nature They represent something of uh, how nature is intended to glorify God. Remember last week, uh, Sarah told us about these creatures from Revelation 4, and they spend almost their whole time uh, praising God. These four creatures represent nature praising and worshiping God. Uh they communicate like lightning and fire. Not that their communication is lightning and fire. It's the closest thing that Ezekiel could compare it to. Now, if you think this is weird, it gets a little more weird here. Isaiah went on. As I watched the four creatures... I saw something that looked like, do you hear that again? I can't tell you what it was, but it looked like. I saw something that looked like a wheel on the ground beside each of the four-faced creatures. This, wheel, uh, this is what the wheels looked like. They were identical wheels, sparkling like diamonds in the sun. It looked like they were wheels within wheels, like a gyroscope. They went in any one of the four directions they faced, but straight, not veneering off. The rims were immense, circled with eyes. When the living creatures went, the wheels went. When the living creatures lifted off, the wheels lifted off. Wherever the spirit went, they went. And the wheels, um, uh, uh, striking, uh, uh, lost my place. Wherever the spirit went, they went. The wheels uh, uh, sticking right with them. For the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. When the creatures went, the wheels went. When the creatures stopped, the wheels stopped. And when the creatures lifted off, the wheels lifted off because the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. All right, now do you have this image? you got these unusual uh, 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 creatures. uh, 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 They have four faces. They have two wings. Their wings are stretching out and touching each other. Beside each of these creatures, there's this gyroscope-looking thing, and this gyroscope-looking thing has a bunch of eyes on it. And wherever the creatures go, the wheels go. All right. If the creatures represent uh, nature uh, uh, praising God, uh, then the creatures also represent uh, uh, the the nature serving God. And this is a, a apocalyptic image of God doesn't just hang out in heaven. His throne is mobile, and the presence of God is as tangible anywhere in the universe as it is in heaven. If God chose to today, he could manifest himself as clearly in this room as he does in heaven. But because he's working on an economy of faith, He says, I'm not asking you to do something easy. I'm asking you to do something that is meaningful. He said, I'm asking you to walk by faith, not by sight. Do I believe that Christ reigns in the entire universe? Yes. Do I believe that day by day, even nature itself works out God's eternal purpose? Yes. Can I make the two fit together, what I see on the news and what I think God is doing? No, I can't, and so that's why I walk by faith and not by sight, you see? Am I open, do I have a category in my life for something that is so amazing that I can't describe it? Yes, I do, I actually believe that a man named Ezekiel, uh, 593 years before Christ was born, saw the glory of the Lord in a physical world. Church? And now, uh, and now we start to get to the holy part. Over the heads of the living creatures was something like a dome. Shimmering like a sky full of cut glass, vaulted over their heads. Under the dome, one set of wings was extended toward the others, with the other set of wings covering their bodies. When they moved, I heard their wings. It was like the roar of a great waterfall, like the voice of the strong God, like the noise from a battlefield. When they stopped, they folded their wings. Then as they stood with folded wings, there was a voice from above the dome over their heads. Above the dome, there was something that looked like a throne, sky blue like sapphire, with a human-like figure towering above the throne. From what I could see, from the waist up, He looked like burnished bronze. From the waist down, like a blazing fire. Brightness everywhere. And the way a rainbow springs out of the sky on a rainy day, that's what it was like. It turned out to be the glory of the Lord. Uh, Brothers and sisters, There is is a glory, there is a majesty, there is a beauty and a dignity in the Lord our God that is beyond what a human tongue can describe. It's more than that. There is an awe in God that is beyond what the human soul can comprehend. But this very same God said, it's important for you to know, it's so important for you to know, my glory, that I'm going to do an unusual thing to express it in the physical world. Church? And then Ezekiel said, when I saw all this, I fell to my knees, my face to the ground. Church, oh, how beautiful it is that we know the day is coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that the Lord our God is most glorious. Ezekiel beat us to it, but someday I promise you, if you are people of faith, you will see the glory of the Lord. And when you do, the impulse of your heart will be singular and overpowering. All you'll want to do is worship him. Church. But God didn't show his glory to show off. God wasn't pandering to humanity for attention. He showed his glory for a higher purpose. And now Ezekiel t- says, when he saw the glory of the Lord, God spoke to him. I heard a voice. It said, Son of man, stand up. I have something to say to you. The moment I heard the voice, the Spirit entered me and put me on my feet. As he spoke to me, I listened. He said, Son of man, I'm sending you to the family of Israel, a rebellious nation if there ever was one. They and their ancestors have fomented rebellion right up to the present. They are a hard case, these people to whom I'm sending you. They're hardened in sin. Tell them this is the message of God, your master. They are will be def- they will be a defiant bunch whether or not they listen at least they will know that a prophet has been here but don't be afraid of them son of man don't be afraid of anything they say don't be afraid when living among them is like stepping on thorns or finding scorpions in your bed Don't be afraid of their words or their hard looks. They are a bunch of rebels. Your job is to speak to them. Whether they listen is not your concern. They are hardened rebels. Only take care, son of man, that you don't rebel and become like these. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. When I looked, he had in his hand stretched out to me in his hand a book, a scroll. He unrolled the scroll. On both sides, front and back, were written, Lamentations, Mourning, and Doom. God shows Ezekiel his glory. Ezekiel is overwhelmed. God says, stand up. I like to talk to you face to face. And then he says to Ezekiel, I have something for you to do. I need you to take my message to your people. They're rebellious. They don't listen. They have another agenda. Uh, they they worship foreign gods. Uh, they're a bunch of atheists. Uh, uh, God said, uh, "I'm not. I'm not going to judge you by your success because I know the hard place you're working. But I am going to judge you by did you share." my glory with people church when god shares himself with us it is for a purpose bigger than just us can you hear this this is a old testament equivalent to what jesus said to his apostles He said, you are my witnesses. I have shared my truth with you. I have shared my glory with you. You have seen the glory of the only begotten God full of grace and truth. And the reason you've seen it is because I want you to share it with the culture around you. Church, listen, our experience with God is not to be hoarded It's to be shared. Can you hear this? There have to be times in your life when you take the risk of talking to family and friends about the wonder, the beauty, the dignity, and the majesty of Jesus Christ. I don't want you finger-shaking at them. I don't want you telling them all the things they do bad. I, I don't want you running them down. I want you to do what Christ asked us to do and what God asked Ezekiel to do. Just tell people about my glory. Tell people about my majesty. Tell people about my beauty and my wonder. Some will hear, and they'll be amazed and attracted to me. Others will be rebellious, but at least they'll know there are people in the world who know God and experience him and take it all seriously. Then the spirit picked me up. Behind me I heard a great commotion. Oops, started at the wrong place, I'm sorry. Then he said, son of man, Get all these words that I'm giving you inside you. Listen to them obediently. Make them your own. Now go, go to the exiles, your people, and speak. Tell them this is the message of God the Master. Speak your peace whether they listen or not. So God handed Ezekiel this little scroll, and he said to him, I want you to eat this scroll. So Ezekiel ate the scroll, and he said it tasted as sweet as honey. That's an apocalyptic image of God saying, I'm sharing a truth with you. It's going to be something more than the Bible you carry around in your hand. It's going to be the word of God within you. It is an apocalyptic image of God saying... uh, It's nice to carry a Bible around, but it's better, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. Do you get this? God said to Ezekiel in in a figurative way, I want my teachings to become an intricate part of who you are. I want my ideas to guide and nourish you day by day. Because then you're gonna be able to share the glory of the Lord better than if the Bible is just an external thing to you and then he said go go you see these great experiences with God they're not supposed to be the everyday thing of our life we're supposed to have beautiful holy moments with God but then we're supposed to get up and go We're supposed to get up and go to work on Monday morning. We're supposed to get up and go to school. We're supposed to get up and and be part of the world around us. We're not supposed to be hiding out in a little monastery, praying for the end of the world. We're supposed to be people who have experienced something of the glory of God. And we have internalized it. And it has become part of who we are, how we think and how we feel and how we see life. And then we're supposed to get out into life and be these beautiful people that the grace of God makes us. Can you hear it? Church, God wants to show his glory in the world through us. And he's willing to reveal his glory to us. He's willing to, he's willing to cause his spirit to abide in us. He, he's willing to make his truth and ideas part of us so that as we live our everyday life, we're living out something of the reflection of his glory and majesty. Some of you are saying, you know, Doc, that's in the Old Testament. All that stuff's over with. All right, I still believe there's one Bible. I don't tear my Bible in half, church. There is one Bible. And the New Testament and the Old Testament, they talk about the same themes, just in different ways. If you feel you can't live with this, I'm going to share a a quote from the Apostle Paul. Paul wrote to the church of Corinth. Remember God said, uh, Ezekiel, the world around you is rebellious, whether they listen or not. Okay, Paul said... The world around him. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing. What is it that evil doesn't want people to see? To keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Church, what is it that we most need to show We need to show the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the image of God. Church. I'm not looking to see uh, angelic creatures. I'm not looking to see wheels within wheels. I'm not looking to see a firmament and the sapphire throne of God. I have seen the glory of the face of God in the life of Jesus Christ. Church, I don't need to see something that is so overwhelming and so difficult to understand. God has done something infinitely better. He's left us four Gospels, and in the Gospels, if we'll read them the way the Bible wants to be read, we will see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. When you see Jesus Christ kneeling down and hugging a child, you see a glory of God greater than what Ezekiel saw. When you see Jesus Christ blessing the bread and and, and giving it to the 5,000, you see a glory greater than what Ezekiel saw. When you see Jesus Christ kneeling and sweating in prayer on Mount uh, 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 um, uh, uh, Gethsemane, you, you see a glory of God greater than what Ezekiel saw. When you see Jesus Christ, out of pure love of God, stretch forth his hands and receive the nails of the cross, when you hear him pray, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do, you see a glory greater than what Ezekiel saw. And when you see that open tomb, you see that God Almighty is greater than even death itself. God has revealed himself to us in a beautiful and amazing way in Jesus Christ. And it isn't for us to be religiously arrogant about. It is so we ha- we're able to share the glory of God with a broken world. We're able to share the majesty of God with a confused world we're able to share the dignity of god with a world that is full of shame and regret brothers and sisters our god is great and greatly to be praised our dear heavenly father i call upon your name i turn to you in hope i'm grateful that uh Ezekiel had this incredible moment with you. But I am even more grateful that in Jesus Christ, we see you clearly. In Jesus Christ, I see you better than Ezekiel saw the image of Christ as bronze from the waist up and burning fire from the waist down. In Christ, I see that you are gracious and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. I pray this morning that your spirit would open the eyes of our understanding and we could recognize your dignity clearly enough that we would feel the impulse this week to speak to someone about the beauty and the majesty of Jesus Christ. And may your name be glorified. Amen.